Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of CEO Cheat Sheet Podcast. Today, I have a new guest, a great Ricky Hayes, who is leading as a CEO and founder of the company named The Beautify. That tagline says the all-in-one e-commerce toolkit for brands. Thanks for joining my podcast, uh, Ricky, and how are you doing today? Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you as well. I'm going really well. Been, if I'm honest, I've been pretty excited to be on this podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to sort of be here as well. Nice. Yeah, I'm also very delighted. And I can't wait to hear what exactly your company do because it sounds very teasing. And I would love to learn more. So can you tell us and share a bit more about your business? Yeah, so Debutify was founded about two and a half years ago. We, we focus on the e-commerce industry. Our core product is a subscription model theme. So we're a software as a service provider that we provide a theme on Shopify and niche store templates, but basically allowing small, medium businesses, agencies, freelancers and that to build a website I have a template and have support and integrations. One of the hard things with building most websites that I've always found is always building the website. There's a lot of technicalities. And obviously, one of the things as well is around support and that comes with it too. For a lot of small, medium businesses on Shopify, uh, it can be quite expensive to get specific agencies to build a, a complete custom build. So that's where our sort of theme fits the mold, where the theme has add-ons. So the theme is is a template, looks really nice, and we're always upgrading it, as well as it has a lot of add-ons that allow business owners, instead of having to get a lot of different so specific apps on Shopify that might increase their costs, as well as integrations and additional coding and customizations, they sort of have, for the most part, that all within a theme. So it allows them to quickly and easily have their brand looking as they want it to with the support without having to worry about 10 different apps. It's all sort of in one place and it's sort of supported. So that's primarily what we do. We also have a, a review app. So that helps e-commerce business owners as well to generate UGC, user-generated content and re verified reviews from their customers to help build the reputation and trust of their brand. So that's sort of where we're at at about the two and a half year mark and what we do. Got it. Well, thank you very much for sharing. So as far as I understand, if I'm an e-commerce client and I'm just starting and want to use Shopify, especially Shopify, I can just uh, check for the beautify, apply the template, following my brand colors. And on top of that, uh, can I have like extra customization and support in this regard? Because you compared this business with other agencies like that probably do set everything from scratch versus you having like pre-made solutions. So does it mean like we the client can also get the customization? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you bringing that up. Actually, I should have mentioned that. Yes, correct. So basically, it's a template, and then they can customize, like you said, the coloring, the location of the different add-ons. You know, for instance, a popular one that people always want is like sticky add to cart. So that's all natively within the theme, and people can change its location, the width, the size, the coloring, and it just sort of means less work. But as well as that, of course, because it is a theme, and that if they wish to get an agency to further help them as well to do very specific customizations it has all of that support so 
basically we try and we get a lot of businesses that might not be able to afford the fees of an agency, especially for fully custom builds. They can have that and it sort of saves them a lot of costs, especially down the long term and and allows them to have that control in their business that most of them want. Hmm. That's pretty smart, like still having some desirable level of customization, but cutting costs of the pre-made solutions. That's something that is very smart to me. And just assuming of the why this business was created, I think you identify this issue that there is a lot of businesses that can't create proper brand image due to the costs in the first place, or there were other motivation to start this business? Well, truthfully, there was a few motivations. One, I've always just loved software. So for me, um, I wanted to enter the software space and I had my own e-commerce brand, e-commerce retail brand, and uh, I found it wasn't for me. It didn't do very well because, well, I'm not very good with, with, with items. I'm not very fashionable or no latest trends, truthfully. But I, I knew I loved software and when I was building my website, I, I found it personally very frustrating managing between the theme and all the integrations and all the customizations going back and forth, saving here, seeing where it affects there. Basically, just sort of felt, well, well, you know, a lot of this felt like it could be combined into a, a packaged solution and sort of that's where sort of the inspiration came from and just sort of started developing it from there. It originally had, when we released it, six add-ons is what we call them. So basically the different functionalities like sticky add to cart to now we have 62 and growing. So we're always trying to add more so that customers can sort of do for the most part as much as possible in the theme. But like what you said as well, also we always make sure we have the option so that they can do any customization they wish in whatever circumstance that suits them as well. So it gives them obviously that full control that they want. But if they want us to, if they want a simple out of the box solution, they have that. But if they want to go super granular, they also have that as well for their their needs. Mm, okay. Well, thanks for elaborating on this one. I'm just curious, like I'm now understanding the motivation. What's the goal of, uh, of the business and how is it aligned with your personal goals in this business? The goals of the business for me is, is truthfully, I just want to help small, medium and large businesses to, to build a website quickly and easily. As I said, like I know the frustrations that like it's really exciting building a website, but at the same time, unless you're in the nitty gritty, know all the coding, you know, you're a software developer, unless you sort of know, know in and out, right, what you're sort of doing. For most end users, let's say, especially in e-commerce, their speciality and their focus is their their product, what they're selling to their customers. And, and that's where they want to devote most of their attention. And that's fair enough. So the goal is to sort of make their life easier, but also give them the control they want in a very simple fashion so that they can build a nice website that they're proud of without having to know every little technical nitty gritty in the sun, because it's quite a lot. It's a, it's a huge amount to know. And at the end of the day, I guess my core and how it aligns to my core objective is, uh, and it's the main reason I really got into business, was the way I look at it is if I can help other businesses, they help their customers and the world becomes a better place, I guess. You know, like uh, the more I can help our clients and, and agencies and all of that to help their customers, the more that the world turns around and, and people have a, a good, pleasant experience online because I believe that part of a great experience online to me, uh, especially in the e-commerce space, is the experience of navigating and going through the website. You want to have that nice feel, feel valued, supported. One of my core objectives is to sort of help small, medium businesses, our clients, and that to really sort of streamline a lot of that so that they can, they can do what's best and make their product, what they're selling to their customers, 
as amazing as possible. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's making the brands, uh, e-commerce brands, more beautiful, more uh, convenient to use, helping them focus more time and energy to do the best, right? So their products and delivery might be of the high quality instead of spending too much resources and energy on building the website. And I know a lot of that of that stuff. You know, it's my in my background. Like we constantly build in solutions and apps. And yeah, you're right, especially when it comes to Shopify or any solution that uh, facilitates a lot of operations. This nitty-gritty becomes like a whole new story. And as you said, it just reflects with me. When you love building something, that's probably how you should identify. That's probably for you. Like, I love building software. Often, as many other software engineers would agree who's going to watch this, that's it. We don't care much about the results at some point. So this is a big problem. (laughs) There's like... um, I would say stopping factor in the face of project manager or technical lead who says like, come on, we got to do this thing because otherwise it's not going to get any income or get money to pay you for your amazing job. So this balance is important. And I think what you're doing this, uh, the beautify is exactly to help on the business level to not get distracted with all those operations. So whole new world. That's pretty cool. About your personal goals, I mean, I understand the business goal, but what's your personal goal? Like, are you just, um, do you seek to automate it to the level where you can just to retire or move forward and make the product better? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. My personal goals is one that a lot of people find a little bit weird. I'm a, I guess I'm not going to deny. I just love working. <laughs> My personal goal is, well, one, I really want to just grow the company. I just want to grow the company like any founder does. And Personally, I just love work because I love the challenges it presents me. Every day I'm dealing with new problems, whether I like it or not. Some days it's very, all sunshine and the next day it's thunderstorms. And, and I mean that metaphorically. Some days you, you're dealing with a variety of different things. Some days are better than others. But at the end of the day, what I guess I love about it, my personal goal is, as I said, I guess really just comes down to it's being in the position I'm in, I'm always exposed to a lot of different things. So I'm learning a lot of different things. I just love to learn. And that comes from my passion about just working. And and I guess I like to look at it that I'm in a very unique opportunity where I can help a lot of people in their respective business. And I think that's a very privileged position to be in where I can use my time, attention to help them. But at the same time, my personal goals is from all those experiences, I learn new things I didn't expect. Going in the business has reshaped me as a person down to my core in terms of my core personality. Because in business, you're really, whether you like it or not, I mean, as a founder yourself, you know that business is going to give you those wake up calls, whether you like them or not, right? It's going to present those brick walls in your face and some you'll easily traverse, some will slap you straight in the face and you just have to, you have to accept it or sadly business is not for you. And why I guess that I love is I love those challenges and I love knowing that some days are harder than others, but each of those, I, each time I overcome those brick, that brick wall that presents itself, I feel I've improved myself. So really I've tied my passion of software into my personal goal of I just honestly love working and I love the challenges it presents and and the unique opportunity of being able to use that to help other people to build a sustainable business for them and help their customers. So I really, it's just a really lovely opportunity for me. Well, thanks for honest feedback. And uh, I think this about the journey, not a destination, but would be shared by many other founders. So being in this position, as you said, exactly to be, it's privileged, especially if it matches the goals. It's like just perfect place. When someone asks me, like in the past, especially what I'd love to, when I was a software engineer, what I like to do the most, I was like, say coding. Like, but yeah, it's, it's your job. But when you have a free time, well, I code just different things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all the same yeah. because, yeah, you know, it's so 
consumed by this process. Oh yeah, I got it. Oh, that's cool, cool. I think the e-commerce community are blessed to have such solutions as your business and having uh, you leading the way. But besides uh, these goodies we have discussed, let's, uh, let's, let's call it so, there must be challenges that you might probably would want to avoid. Can you elaborate on that? Like what would be in your case? I think I could uh, relate with everyone here and say the challenges I don't like is paying taxes, right? But the, <laughs> um, the challenges I don't like when you're a founder at the end of the day, running a business, at the end of the day, the goal of growing a business is having staff and staff are by far the best and worst part of a business, right? You know, if you have amazing people, you're going to do amazing things. If you have a group of average people, you're sadly going to do average things, Right. I'm sure we've all seen and heard of many businesses that have grown and toppled over because of leadership or the people within that company and the culture. The challenge that I, I guess that I like facing is at the end of the day, I've hired a lot of amazing people and I have a lot of amazing people in the company. We're a company of 65, but at the same time, also got a, a number of people that they don't fit the mold and the challenge, what I guess I'm getting at that I don't like is sometimes people don't fit within the culture and, and the, the values that your business holds. And so sometimes, you know, you have to let go of some people. Now, I've you know, personally read a number of books and it always says it's very important to do, but it's always a challenge that always feel um, a little bit frightened, a, a little bit on the side that I don't want to face that. It's, it's a No matter who it is, because at the end of the day, you're dealing with someone's life, you're dealing with someone's livelihood, you're dealing with, you know, their work. And so if I'm honest, that's one of the challenges that is a never ending challenge that's part of being a business owner and having staff. But it's always a challenge. I, I'll be honest, I never look forward to if, if when it presents itself. Yeah, especially if it comes out of the blue, right? Like, um, I like your conscious approach here as you treat them, not just, I mean, the employees, not just as employees, but also people who have their life, have their goals. I'm not including this in the agenda, but I'm starting to become more curious, like what other companies employ to help people to understand their career position, uh, where they move. And in case like you have to part the ways, how they can end up after they finish with your company, like wh where they are, like, do they have this understanding? Are they feel comfortable and safe knowing that, okay, I know what I'm worth, what are my skills? Uh, I know the companies that would love to have me, like, do you do anything on that? And maybe some personal development plans in your company? I'm just curious. Look, it's, it's only been something we've really started to phase into. It's a very good question. In the last six, 12 months is personal development's really important because again, I'm a big believer that there's a job and there's a passion. While they both translate to work, the connotation of a job is you do it for the money, right? <laughs> you know, you go there, you paycheck. Whereas when it's a passion, sort of like yourself, I mean, like you said it as well, you love to code. When you're in your zone and you have that passion, it becomes more than just a job. It has meaning, it has purpose, it, it personally holds value in your heart. And that's something really important to me because part of the reason that I didn't like my previous positions in when I was employee in other companies was it felt like a job to me. I felt felt like a chore, I guess. And so back to what you're sort of saying, personal development is really important because for people to feel like it's a passion, it also has to they have to be, feel valued. And part of that is personal development. So that means moving up potentially into senior roles, leadership roles, management roles, personal development, obviously, as well in terms of a special help your meaning, learning courses. So we subscribe to a number of tools online so that staff can do self-learning 
uh, for starters. If I'm honest, we just have a business subscription to Udemy, which works quite well for us in that regard. So a number of staff, that they just go through self-paced learning, but they can also request courses as well, as well as we have rewards for staff because we have a, a KPI system basically to just sort of, it's not to micromanage, it's more to acknowledge their work and then give them rewards for it, certifications, and then try and support them with their certifications. One of the things that is really important to me is I am a firm believer that if you try and make it so that staff can't leave, they're going to get resentful. They're going to feel boxed in. They're going to leave at some point anyway because they're going to feel boxed in and they're going to look for opportunities that more align to their values. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in entrepreneurs finding people that you know want to be within a business, don't want to own a business at that point in time, uh, but have a very innovative mindset and supporting and facilitating them. And I always try and say, look, you know, do this personal development, get some certifications because I think that Having great people in the business is also a great opportunity to foster and nurture people to go and start their own business as well, um, because the more great leaders we have in business, the better the world will become. So I look at it again as sort of a bit of one of my personal goals, if I'm honest with you there, without going too much into every little ramble. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for sharing this. We went on sidetrack a little bit on purpose because it, I think what you shared is really, really cool. It's part of the wisdom that we collectively should, I would say, convey to have more leadership, more businesses. As someone said, small to medium business is actually a backbone of the of the service world we see today. So it's very important to nurture it despite any challenges. As you started uh, the answer of the challenge that the taxes are kind of <laughs> something <laughs> you don't like, which I think everyone uh, share the same opinion, me included. I always think about the guy, Kerry Packer, when I uh, hear the, the opinion matches what I see, because like sometimes feels small to medium businesses does much better job with some services that uh, government supposed to do. So yeah, that's kind of solving this issue with projecting the leadership to former employees. I mean, if they pass, so they, they start and jump, they have a good jump start for the next venture they're in. To this section, I just have another uh, question about your CEO daily lifestyle that our audience might be interested to, uh, to hear, like what you do to maintain your, whatever you do in your business. Do you have like some secrets about routine? Maybe you do some exercise, walking on the beach. Can you share, please? Truthfully, like, you know, any founder, and I imagine most people I've spoken to, probably even including yourself, in the early days, there really isn't any work-life balance. There isn't any sequence, basically, it's non-stop work. Yeah. But you do get to a point where what my, you know, I'm, I'm big on trying to have structure and routine and work-life balance is important. So for me, I try and go for a 30-minute walk a day in the morning and I try and do a, a workout more to stretch your body because especially in desk-type jobs where you sit in your posture and your back and, and that is, you know, as you get older, only going to get more important. So it's, it's, it is important to take care of yourself. So that's sort of how I, I guess I start my day. But through it, one of the things that's allowed me to manage the company is I always try and focus on the smallest, the smallest things are the most important, right? I, I know in my eyes, like, so obviously, you know, people would always say the biggest issues are the most important, which of course that is true too. But what I always find is it's the smallest issues that always get ignored that turn into big issues. And so I always, am I resonating? I hope I somewhat am there and not sounding like a madman. But what I find is, is that small issues, people just sort of ignore, 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 and then they blow up in your face. Whereas I like to look at those small issues and the small issues don't just come in the terms of in software, like a bug, uh, it can come in the form of staff, let's say not following instructions, misleading. We've all encountered those things. And I'm always trying to find those 
deep little rooted issues that are the really hardest ones to find because a lot of that comes down to you need feedback from your staff, right? And so I'm very big on feedback from your staff on how am I as a leader, how are the managers going, all of that to find those tiny little nuggets of information that like spark your mind to be like, okay, we need to investigate that. And so doing that as well as what I call, I don't know if there's proper term or whatever for it, but I call it the 1% rule to me, which is basically as a CEO or founder or anyone high up in leadership, you're juggling a lot of projects, right? All at once. I said it before, one day might be focusing entirely on UX. The next day could be you're having to do a heap of email marketing related work with your email marketing team. The way to juggle that is there's no way to do those 100% simultaneously. It is just physically impossible as a leader. What I find is is that I use what I call what works for me, the 1% rule where so I incrementally improve things. In business, you know, getting people to improve things doesn't happen overnight, right? Uh, as much as we would all love to go from zero to 100 overnight and teach people what our visions are, our long-term goals, sadly never really happens, right? And so it sets yourself up for failure if you think that's going to happen that way. So for me, basically, I do the 1% rule that allows me to handle all these different projects, I guess, at once or different things going on at once and very incrementally improve them, always guiding the staff towards your goals, but expecting them to make mistakes, but always sort of helping them 1% incrementally improve. And so basically, in my eyes, it means you have to do it 100 times before you eventually get the goal you're after. And it, it can be It can be a very exhausting thing at times, I'm not going to deny, but for me, it's worked quite well because I'm a bit of a stubborn person. So I have my visions and I just sort of incrementally work towards. So that, and and that's sort of how I work in relation to my day. Like I, as I said, like do my exercise and stuff. And then I, I try now to stick between a, a usually about a a nine to five uh, for the most part throughout the day, go home, spend some time with my family, have dinner and disconnect. Like One of the things that I will say that you can't really put a price on it, even half an hour of disconnecting, where that might mean you meditate, play a game, watch a TV show, whatever that gets you in that state of relaxation um, really sort of helps because as a CEO, you know, what I've personally found is your body picks up all that stress over time and then over and then at some point it'll just release it and you'll just you won't be able to handle it all. And I've personally sort of experienced a lot of that where, you know, we think we can push our bodies through it. You know, that sort of culture of entrepreneurship and that and nowadays it's sort of that hustle, work hard, work hard culture and and while that sounds good and all, our bodies physically at some point, from my experience anyway, it doesn't, it's not sustainable. So for me, at times, that, that's why I try and structure my days that way. Really love that. I mean, I would summarize it as like finding the proper pace, patient. It's a long-term game. You're like kind of balancing things out so they do not kill you right away and just, but you still keep the attention those small details, as you mentioned, 1%, and you see the idea, you slowly but steadily uh, walk toward the goal. Uh, just don't push yourself. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's, that's really healthy, I would I tend to waffle, by the way, so I hope I'm not boring too much. <laughs> no, I think you just provide a lot of details, and this is pretty cool because it might resonate with many people, especially if they got to push themselves hard. This is one of the reasons we have this item in the podcast to share and reveal 
how the actual CEO uh, lifestyle looks like. So thank you very much for, for sharing this and elaborating that deeply. So we are getting into core uh, section right now. And just to remind the viewers that we're going to go through a structured way from explaining the operational part of the business from uh, engaging the client, tracking the progress of the work, reporting it to the client, and also making sure everyone is accountable on the profitability side, like in the tools that has enough data to support this goal. How Beautify engages the client, how the quote generation works, like do you use any tools, like how the things are started? Can you can you share? We have in our, what, where I've sort of positioned it in our um, customer service team and account management team, Pardon me, and I hope that I'm on the right path. I hope I haven't confused this, but so an account management team, basically they reach out to our clients. So because we're a subscription-based model, a number of clients, they come and request a demo, uh, sales demo, but at the same time, they can just start a free trial or create an account and start their trial that way as well. We then use sort of our lead generation tools. So we use Active Campaign for one, where we have automated flows that we send out to them about the features and, and signing up and so on and so forth, as well as we use, like just in this tool does, Intercom um, to manage sort of customer service, as well as sort of reaching out because Intercom is an amazing tool where, you know, it, it allows you to build a lot of automated flows I'm not sure if you're using to comment from honest, but the automated flows and using various triggers based on your, whatever your software is or different criteria. And so allows you to reach out to different people in different ways. So for instance, one of the things we do for sort of also helping with our lead generation is we via active campaign and intercom will send like an intercom, a pop-up, you know, that a welcome to your trial. Do you want to book a demo? Because some people might not book a demo through the website, but they will through Intercom. Because we know that getting people into demo calls, we're able to convert them onto higher plans because we're able to understand more about their business and personalize the solution. One of the things that, you know, sort of like I've seen with, again with your software and that, you know, the importance of having a template or a baseline, but then the ability for businesses to have personalized custom solutions. Jumping on a demo call, you know, really sort of helps understand that, speak to the, the business owner or the, the marketing manager, whatever, and then tailor that sort of solution. So if I want to sort of use a lot of mainly between those, and uh, I hope that I was on the right path there with account management, of course, too, with managing clients, you sort of touched on that for existing clients, you know, we proactively reach out where we at least try and have a monthly call and they have obviously dedicated account managers where they can email about their, that said question. Those account managers are more focused on our enterprise grade customers. For lower ones, they have the more uh, live chat support solutions for that, whereas the account managers are dedicated to provide very specific solutions for those grade of customers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a bit different from, from usually what service businesses are facing because it's very, it's bigger share of the time that business spends on finding the clients and uh, having the proper process in place. Where I think what you described is much more tools heavy, like active campaign for email marketing campaigns, whatever other outreach channels, and then wiring to the automation with Intercom. We, we did the integration of the Intercom for many of our clients. So we pretty know what they do. Like their recent addition of the thin AI is pretty cool. I think this probably would be one of the best uh, solutions I've seen so far for the customer support. And yeah, when it comes to the workload, I think besides the, I would say, client-oriented or sales-oriented, there are probably some ongoing work happening. So I'm just curious, like, how do you track the team's uh, participation into doing these tasks? Like, do you use any project management tool? How do you handle that? We use ClickUp. There's a number of solutions out there, as I know you'd be aware. And 
we've just chose ClickUp, if I'm honest. There's, you know, was at the time for us, it was either between Mondays, Asana, ClickUp, and just sort of ended up, I guess, choosing ClickUp between the three of them because project management is a super important thing. And, uh, you know, I want to make clear that people think that project management's only sort of important as you have a good amount of staff in a business. I hear a lot of people say, oh, you need to have 10 staff or something for it, but I completely disagree. I think even as one person, it's super important. So you have this, you can start building a project management tool because in business, you forget so many things, right? Like I don't know about you, but I forget most things. And if I didn't have a tool that sent me reminders or staff tagged me or something like that, I'd be like, I, I don't know what I did five minutes ago. Project management tools really important because, you know, most of them, they'll allow you to build custom flows to what your specifics are to your business with specific filters, custom fields and stuff. So that's sort of what we use both for like our lead generation for, let's say, like new demo calls to come in. We'll discuss if this is an eligible customer and then pass it to our sales rep all the way through to like the, the major flow for us, which is the development flow, which is all the way from concept being poppy graphics and so really important tools that allow you know because without it if you're trying to manage all these different teams it's physically impossible because everyone's going to get lost you need these types of tools to really sort of help manage the day-to-day Okay. And I think uh, in this regard, like you're using it mostly internally because there is not much clients to report the progress over the some tasks or there is still the case, maybe with enterprise clients. We have tried to get them like into ClickUp, for example, because like a lot of them, you can invite guests and to we specific lists. Some like it and a lot don't. Um, so most of the time we sort of stick to the traditional as much as I'd prefer it in a tool like ClickUp because it's far more structured. So the compromise that we sort of make is we still make like a list in ClickUp for that said client, but in tools like ClickUp, I don't know about the other ones, I assume that you can do it too. You can email them from within the card, okay? And when they respond, it goes back into the card. So you can have the card, the client gets an email like they sort of prefer because most clients, it's just they seem to prefer email, right? That's just between their day-to-day, that's sort of how it is. I'm sure you've seen many of that too. Yeah, that's true. But allows us to have it so that it's all still in ClickUp so then we can make dashboards, easy reporting. It's centralized. So if an account manager goes on leave, another one can take over temporarily. And so that's sort of how we've sort of handled that. Like my preference would be to get them all into there because then I, you know, we can build automations and structure it even better. But even with training and various support like that, they'll most of them won't even watch it. So I just <laughs> sort of it just seems that for those customers at that level, they just sort of by default just expect email. Well, that's been my experience anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of clients, when they found themselves within such systems, they get lost usually. And uh, I'm speaking of a little bit of our experience where we build the work layer part to be very client friendly. Just they don't need to see all this task, this heap of information, this chaos that usually looks as a chaos to them. They don't know the processes, unlike your team. They just want to see where we are. What's the progress? What are the issues? What requires my attention? So they just fall back naturally to whatever tool is convenient to them. Either it's email or Slack or whatever messenger it is. Usually it's sometimes out of the control. <laughs> we, we, try to, we, we try to change this on our end. Like, like, let's use email at least because if there's a lot of other messaging tools, you know, the integrity that what you guys try to achieve like by sending email through the card, which I think is a really cool feature, is exactly to help centralize uh, the single source of trust. So you can go like the click up and see all the conversation related to specific projects or tasks, which is pretty cool. And in fairness to the clients too, you know, 
one of the things I sh- I always like to say is at the end of the day, they are the client. It's that, like what you sort of said, you know, building your solution that your solution is very customer focused, very simple, straightforward, gets to the point because that's what they want, right? They're probably focused on whatever's going on in their day to day. The last thing they want to do is learn a very specific software solution where they just want, at the end of the day, they're paying for a service that will just, they want, they're paying you to try and take that load off. And the last thing they want is more load, right? That's the opposite of what they want. So for me, while I would love them personally in ClickUp at the end of the day, client wins, right? Uh, You know, that they're paying you for that service. So that's why I like the solution of sending the emails and getting it back into ClickUp is sort of a a perfect workaround, I guess, for that for us too. That's pretty cool. Especially with the intercom, I know they can also intercept your mail. So it makes convenient life for both parties. So I think on the customer support side, it's just very important as well. Okay. So I think the structure of our system, like with invoicing these payments is not that relevant because you're selling the product in the first place. So I bet something like Stripe is used. Mainly Stripe for us and for enterprise customers that go on a contract we manually invoice them through Stripe as well. Oh, through Stripe. Yeah, they have manual laws. I usually, uh, when it comes to service businesses, they mention Zero for accounting purposes. It's my assumption that you use Zero as well for that purposes. Yeah, we use that for tax and reconciliation and stuff. And obviously, yeah, it can do invoicing, which is really good, but it just sort of because we use Stripe's our sort of main one. We've just yeah. chosen Stripe, if I'm honest. <laughs> if the share of the work you have is like lion share subscription, the custom work that you would be like hourly, you know, whatever is shifted towards the subscription, you probably are not that troubled with a proper accounting of how efficient your team members are. I'm just curious, like, how you measure it otherwise? How would you measure like uh, the work of your team? And as we touched base this part, when there is a hiring or firing decision, like how do you know when you, when you need to hire someone or fire? Yeah, I mean, that's always an excellent question. So yeah, because ours obviously sort of a bit different, as you said, like purely in the service where if you're charging, doing a bill, an hourly billing, right? ClickUp has time tracking in it. So, you know, you can do dashboards and use various views to see how many hours has been tracked against the card to sort of, if you do do that billing. As I said, we don't do a lot of that because sort of our plan, the way our structure is, we don't generally do on a hourly billing basis, but like in terms of how that translates, though, we still use for project management to make sure that staff are aligned to sort of ex- expectations with with the various managers to make sure that some people will take a very long time on some task. And so it's like, you know, as hard as it might be at times, why is this taking so long? Or why haven't you been work? You know, I'm sure we've all sort of seen various things like that. And it is a reality. And one of those things is, and it's sort of tied into what you said as to hiring and firing, that at times you will find that with the right people, they will be very consistent, reliable. And usually that means as well, they're usually, their quality is really high, but they're also very efficient. I don't know, that's just a correlation I've found personally. Whereas the people that I look at firing are the ones where Things always, they take a lot longer. The quality just isn't there and it's consistent no matter how much you support them and maybe sort of say, hey, next time when you're working on a task similar to this, just remember to factor in this template or, you know, look at our standard operating procedures and and use this. And, you know, you can tell pretty quickly between the people that listen to you and actually take that advice on and, 
and read it as opposed to those who don't. So that's sort of how I define it, where I sort of use the time tracking and sort of look at the, like use filters for that said person and sort of work with the manager to say, all right, well, this person has been consistently X, Y, Z. I don't usually make an assumption straight out the gate because there can be a lot of reasons. So then what you do is say, okay, do we need to give this person some more support, some closer attention? Maybe there's a process that we're missing that's causing them to have delays, right? And so you, you try and identify and work with them. And I like to give people at least three chances, right? Because people don't learn overnight. They need support. That's just human nature. But I usually find by that sort of third time, if you're still seeing that sort of very consistent delays, the taking a long time, the quality isn't good, and you've personally worked with them and jumped on calls or the manager has and and all their team lead, then that sort of usually starts to where it goes into, okay, well, that's sort of verifying, sadly, this person might not be a good fit for our business, right? As tough as a call, that's sort of my approach to it. I don't like to be one of those people where, hey, you're behind, you're gone. No, like it, um, that's not going to ever foster a good culture, is it? And it's just not the way, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of how I do it with the, like using time tracking within our project management tool and using dashboard to sort of evaluate. At the end of the day, one of the things that I always like to add that's just really important to me is I'm a big believer in trust, but like uh, in that you should really trust the people you work with, but you always have that little 10% in your mind that's that little bit dubious, 90% trusting, 10% dubious. You know, I'm sure you've experienced it too, you know, uh, because if you're 100% trusting Sadly, you're going to set yourself up to get burnt it's, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No matter how you trust people, and especially people who gain trust is still the nature of the person. I identify myself at the same spot. If you get too comfortable, it's the path to spoil your productivity at some point. Yeah. So everyone must be accountable. In my vision, the qualitative metrics must match the quantitative. So like time tracking, amount of the tasks, this is one thing. There might be a lot of reasons why in this specific month or quarter, any period of time, the productivity goes down and there should be a very logical qualitative uh, research done to approach person and help him or her in the first place. So I think in this case, just having time tracking and any other statistic you can get is just to empower your vision onto what's going on for real. Because otherwise, yeah, I, I don't personally understand how people work without time tracking, especially if they have remote workforce. We have like um, all, all of our people uh, remote working. We have some people in the office, but this was like allowed for them because they wanted to go to the office in the first place, but nobody is enforced. And when you have a remote working people and you don't do the time tracking, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say it's about like being very like trusting this person in the first place. It's like limiting your capability to prevent any potential issue that might work in the both direction. Because in, in the end of the day, any conflict, any issue is a damage to both parties, right? It damages both directions. You said it right, like especially remote work, like some people put it down to micromanagement, you know, with time tracking. I don't look at that at all. Like, you know, for instance, like in ClickUp, when you click the little play button to track against a card, it just has a little timer in the bottom right corner. You don't even really know it's there. And you sort of touched on it as well, you know, especially like, you know, we're dealing with services, um, especially if you're at billing hourly, if someone's tracking wrong or something, you could piss off a client or, you know, all of these things could cause delays. You know, you need to know these things, as you said, like, you know, with time tracking the amount of tasks over a period of time and sort of keep evaluating it because we're not talking about that most of the time it's those things are very tied to work directly for a client. And if you are 
trying to get it within some deadline for some project, it's really important that you know how that project's progressing. And if someone's causing those delays, it can cause massive ripples and then really damage that relationship with the client, sadly. Yeah, that's kind of like you need to explain the rules of the game to everyone. And I was like, in the time and the material, as you, as you mentioned, especially sensitive as uh, because it becomes transparent. If you want to improve something, just open the dialogue. Make sure you do not sabotage the efforts of your team to walk according to a plan. Some good intentions, unfortunately, and very often ended up really badly when it comes to the question of how much it costs. I've seen this a lot, especially in my career, you know, like, oh, I just did it, you know, to make things better. But yeah, this is a good thing in general, but uh, the client is not ready to pay for that. And you did not talk about that. So now you're in trouble, even though you had a good intentions. Because the client doesn't care because they've said, this is what I want. And while from your perspective, you're going sort of above and beyond or like, you know, really trying to, that isn't what they want in that moment. And from their perspective, it's like, hey, I'm not paying for this or, or whatever. This isn't not what I wanted. You aren't delivering what I wanted. And then then the poor person on the, the phone taking that call has to be like, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you know, we'll, we'll fix all of this. And that's just, because especially, you know, dealing with these clients, you know, it is, it's very sensitive. So you have to really, you know, as, as sort of what you're saying, especially in service, you have to mold around them. Don't, you know, you're, you have to mold around them. They are God. And as much as you might have your reservations or you, might have various dislikes about them or whatever their perspectives and personalities at the end of the day that's just how it is right you know and so like as you said that that's what sort of touches on those small things like i've seen the same thing where i've personally as well tried to go above and beyond for the client and what i've actually found is most of them don't even respond to it they're like (laughs) because they don't understand what i'm trying to do anyway so what i guess i've also learned too is you know do what the client wants as fast as you can. And then if they ask for more and they maybe ask for suggestions, then give it. Otherwise, don't try and push them along a path that they originally don't want because then it creates it really makes for a very uncomfortable conversation at times. Yeah. Oh, and just to top up on top of that, I found from the previous, like there was a um, digital event in Cup and there were a capture. It's, it's related to sales, but I think it would relate to any kind of conversation. It's about like, we are doing sales every time and even if like push or upsell, but in the end of the day, if the client is truly believing in, okay, I want this, then they can't make uh, you wrong for doing something or like pushing them hard towards some decision. And this is about to identify this gap, how hard you want it. So how important it is for your business. Once they answer this question and say like, yeah, this is a very important, it creates a huge impact. The fact that we did not solve this yet, it, it, it's really painful, et cetera, et cetera. If you get all of these positives and now they make this decision, now you're kind of safe and secure, but different processes, of course. And in the end of the day, you need to sign under the volume of work. And it might sound like very bureaucratic from what, when I'm saying this, but this transaction must be somewhere locked. And I think these tools we have today is just exactly perfect to capture like, yes, do this. Yeah, I acknowledge this amount of time. And especially if you have activity lock, I'm pretty sure ClickUp has it in the task cards. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, you can then use that, you know, in case like there is no surprise invoices. I mean, you agreed on that, right? Like this is, yeah. <laughs> this is a tricky, tricky route. Especially when there's a, a contract. I don't know if you've encountered this but when things start going a bit sour with the client usually the first thing that starts happening is the contract is brought up like and uh, i've found at times and and that 
while you had every good intention of trying to help them from their perspective, it's like, you're not aligned to my contract. I've had, you know, many different perspectives come up from that, you know, from wanting reimbursement, refund, all of that type of stuff that comes up. And so, you know, I guess, as you said there as well, that's why it's so important to have that transparency, like that activity log and, and sticking as much as possible to the plan because, and then trying to correlate that as much as possible into a contract that's as black and white because when in that space, you will deal with people that will they will cause headaches. <laughs> I don't know, if, but like they'll cause headaches. Yes, some clients are good not to have sometimes. Yes. And I know it might sound bad, but there's still some kind of relationship that might be very toxic in terms of like um, business environment. And it might damage uh, pretty much a lot, whatever the payment is uh, in the end. It's, it's just not worth it. Yeah. All right. I think we covered pretty much a lot of these processes. I just wanted to touch base quickly on the autonomy of your business as a final aspect of this course action how autonomous is the beautify is to you like can you just go to sabbatical for i don't know six 12 months and be sure that everything goes smoothly or it still requires pretty high level of attention in your opinion the answer is no like there's still too much resting on my shoulders while the processes in the company are, are good the part that i'm always having to be there especially as a, a bootstrap startup is i'm the one that has that vision that has to help make sure that staff are always alive aligning to that vision. So it's that sort of like, that's a lot of what my day is, you know, is evaluating and making sure that people aren't steering from that path. So while I would love to sort of step, like in theory, that's, you know, the goal of any good business is to fully step back. So the business, as you said, is autonomous at this stage, being honest with you for me, no, like um, I wouldn't say that I would be able to do that, like, you know, six, 12 months in my eyes to feel comfortable for a good couple of years until our processes are properly solidified at minimum. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's usually a very tough question to answer. I mean, to say yes, yes, it's autonomous. It's pretty reasonable. And I'm just curious, like, because you mentioned many times you love what you're doing. It's probably not on the priority list. I'm just curious, like, whether the business owners are looking in that direction or they just don't worry about that right now um, by, by some reasons. My goal is to make it autonomous. I think part of one of my goals as a CEO is I have, uh, we built this big process of risk management. You know, I, one of the things I'm very big on in business is risk management because that is an important part. And part of it is having the business should be autonomous. So my goal is to make the business autonomous a hundred in an ideal world a hundred percent but the reality is that no business should ever be a hundred percent autonomous right that while your goal is a hundred percent autonomous no business you know even the biggest companies in the world there's no way for them to be a hundred percent autonomous because you always need someone at the helm and while that's the goal and you should always try and strive towards that and do those incremental wins towards it. My view is that a business should never be 100% autonomous because that's the whole point of business and you should be involved in, in making sure the business is secure because let's say it is autonomous, there's always left and right turns that come out of nowhere that no matter how much you plan for something, you can't plan for everything. So if I were to say honestly, the most I could ever say that I would ever hypothetically get to an autonomous level would be if I would put it as a percentage, 80% max, because that last 10, 20%, you always need a, a human involvement to manage the 
the shifts and the waves that come your way. So that's my view anyway. Like more strategically, I think I would need to rephrase it for future episodes to like operationally autonomous. Because like, absolutely, it cannot be like fully autonomous. I mean, like operationally autonomous for sure. But anyway, I think that's got the idea. And this is like exactly what makes businesses unique. If somebody would start to use AI, for example, for what you do like manually or any other businesses, that would be a needed reaction. To, to do something about that. I think we cover pretty much everything in this section. For the outro, I just want to ask you a tricky question. Tell us something that is not on your LinkedIn page that uh, you don't mind sharing. I'm a gamer nerd. <laughs> I'm a big gamer nerd. I've, uh, I was brought up, well, always played games. So like for me, I am um, one of the things that, I, that, that actually sort of ties into what I said earlier that helps me relax is I try and play half an hour to an hour a day of, of games in the evening. So yes, I'm a, I'm a big gamer nerd. That's my bloke. Me too. Uh, what kind of game do you play? <laughs> At the moment, I'm playing a game called Lies of P. Have you heard of the game by chance? Uh, Lies of P? So you might have heard of like uh, Dark Souls. Oh yeah, yeah. The game that contributed to some silver hair on my head. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the game that, that gets a lot of people enraged. Those are the style of games I like. That single player games just on my PS5. I just sit back on my recliner and and uh, I like to play those games for a bit of relaxation. It's funny I say that, but those games are designed to get you mad, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's basically what I do. So. I'm, I'm quite a nerd when it comes to that stuff. I love that. Um, I, I got to share just in return that I play Valorant. It's com in competition mode. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's maybe also very stressful, but somehow it lets me release a lot of negative emotions or a lot of negative energy through that, and it works just fine. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm not uh, alone in that block. You're the first person who... <laughs> I've, I'll be honest, never played the game, but I've watched some gameplay. It looks pretty fun, you know, a lot of unique gameplay creativity mechanics sort of yeah. to really sort of allow you to it's not just a game where you have a gun and you shoot you know there's a lot of strategy and and creativity involved as well yeah the beautiful part of it as you mentioned that the challenging and beautiful part is that i always work with different people and sometimes it's very hard to deal with them and i'm thinking like if i can't win in such conditions you know it's like wow <laughs> yeah <I can laughs> that's, a, that's a kind of achievement even though it's just a game anyway well thank you very much for sharing this uh again as i'm as i try to say like you're the first person who mentioned that so yeah i'm glad i see the founders who also spend some time in the computer gaming because yeah, i think it's a pretty good way to spend some time especially if the weather is not nice or yeah that's just something that also contributes to the way you i would say zone from what you do in the business very different how people can contact you in case they would want to use the beautify like they just go to thebeautify.com and get started from there yeah if they want to start with testing day beautify or see if it's a fit for their business just go to www just to say that it sounds so corny <laughs> daybeautify.com and just have a look and see if it's a good feel for you as well but as well you know i can I have my email address as well, but most people just go to debutify.com and try and use the website, find that that seems to work best for people, yeah. Thank you very much for taking time on getting to this podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have your experience and wisdom shared, and I think everyone else would feel the same. i see you in the next episodes, and have a nice day, Ricky. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to, for this interview podcast. Thank you. Take care.